some of you guys know this about me, some of you don't. Um, my name's Aaron, I'm the pastor here. When I was uh, in fourth grade, I started a, um, a pseudo kind of cult movement in my elementary school. There was a kid who came to school one day, and they could do, you know, the Star Wars Klingon thing. And I still to this day cannot do it. And so because I was jealous of their cool skills and everyone thought it was cool and everyone was trying to do it, I did what any great, you know, like fourth grade kid who wanted attention would do. And I'd say, oh, that's stupid. Anyone can do that. Let's do monkey power, right? And so I started this sweet little gang sign thing uh, that I, like, just made up. I said, hey, guys, like, monkeys are really cool. It's my favorite animal. And if you're cool, you'll do it too. And so, like... Literally, you were talking in a week's period, like it became a thing at mile, at Baldwin Heights Elementary School, it became a thing to say monkey power and like do this. And half the kids didn't know where or like originated from. Like people just assumed like, oh man, if everyone else is doing it, like this has to be a thing, right? Like it must be something that we do. How many of us have done that, right? Like we've been in conversations with people where they'll like say something and we have no idea what they're talking about, but we don't want to look uncool or like we're not with us. We're just like, yes, of course, right? Like how many of us have probably done it at the wrong thing, right? We're not paying attention and something really bad happened and we're just like, yeah, that's great. And it's like, no, my grandma died. Like, what are you talking about? Anyone else ever been there? So monkey power was very short-lived. I think that, you know, it faded about as as quickly and epically as it, you know, bubbled up. But it's, it's, it's phenomenally interesting to me how kind of movements, little things can start. And things that are silly like that or, or this past week, you know, there was sort of the celebration of the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. And by no means am I going to uh, compare myself or, or monkey power to Martin Luther King Jr. and the, uh, the, <laughs> the civil rights movement. But it's phenomenally interesting to me how movements start and how they continue on. There almost always is some sort of catalytic leader who steps out and and they're the first one or, or ones to say, hey, this isn't right, or hey, we should do this, or hey, this is awesome. And the truth is, a movement doesn't start until there's at least a follower, right? Like if you don't have a follower, you're not a leader, right? And so, but once there's people that start following, and then there's more, and then what's interesting is slowly... Uh, a movement is kind of spawned by not just the leader, but it's the first follower or followers and how others are following that person. Movements are interesting because they, 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 they're very fluid. They, they, they don't always uh, stay within the confines of all the rules. And yet they're powerful, right? I mean, you look back at someone like Martin Luther King Jr. And you're talking about a man who eventually was assassinated, a man who was jailed, Many times, a man who didn't necessarily have like, uh, you know, huge organization. So much of it was grassroots. It was done by volunteer people. And it's phenomenally interesting because they helped change the landscape of our country. Movements are a lot of fun. This morning we're beginning a new series called Movement. And the idea behind it is, is twofold. In, in one way it's about this idea that, that if we are, are followers of Jesus, that if our Savior didn't stay in the tomb, that he, he went out and he, he began to move and he began to continue to do ministry and he called his disciples, his followers, us, to do that too, what does it look like for us to move? What does it look like for us to just not stay stagnant, to not just sort of be like, all right, sweet, we all get inside church and that's it? What does it look like for us to, to move and continue to have our faith kind of go in different directions, in different places? 
but also what does it look like for us as a community of, of followers of Jesus? What does it look like for us to, to act as a movement? Because the truth is, I don't think that when Jesus died and he rose again, that he envisioned this idea that like, all right, here's the thing. People are going to find out about the good news of me, and then literally they're just going to like sort of stay together. They're not going to like, the world's not going to look any different because of it. Like it's, you know, there's going to be a quota that we hit where it's like, all right, sweet. We got, we got the right number of people. We're good. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he envisioned this idea of like, let's build these buildings where people come together for just a little bit of time. Don't really engage with each other. Don't come together and pull resources in time to do great things in the community that'll point people back to Jesus. Like, I don't think he just like came so that way we could stay confined. I think he came so we could be a movement of love and that we could be going through all out culture, all out the world. So that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be doing it through the framework of our um, essentials, our core values here at South Creek. We have these things we call the four G's. They are gather, grow, give, and go. And this week, we're going to talk about gathering. And I know that's probably funny because you're like, dude, you just talked about how we're not supposed to just gather and, and have this holy huddle, right? Very true. But I want to talk about why is it that we gather. And the truth is, uh, gathering is far more than just like a Sunday morning worship experience or, you know, different churches have Saturday or Thursday or Friday. It's far more than just those sort of things. But we are going to focus in because I think sometimes we take for granted why we do certain things, right? But gathering kind of entails this. This is, this is kind of the framework for gathering. In, in Matthew 18, uh, 19 through 20, Jesus says, again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it it will be done for them in my uh, by my father in heaven for where two or three gather in my name there i am with them now the context of this scripture is he's talking about reconciliation he's talking about that now remind you later on in scripture we're told that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation so in a lot of ways the idea behind church is that we gather in this idea in the name of Jesus so that we can be people of reconciliation and restoration. Not just in here, but to go out there. But I think some of the things we do at church is weird, right? Can we just be real for a second? Like, most of us, if we grew up in church, like, you're going to be like, Aaron, no, it's not. It's normal. No, like, seriously. I So I, I grew up, I am a, um, uh, my, my grandpa was a pastor, my dad was a pastor. Like, I, I was in church... Um, like nine months before I came out of the world, like that sort of person. So I, I've just sort of grown up with the, the Christianese. You know, we have this language that we use that if you don't know it can make you feel really uncomfortable, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, and it was true in the very early church. There were times when they would talk about communion and they would, you know, express the idea that this is his, you know, this is his blood and this is his body. Like they straight up thought early Christians were cannibals, right? Like, can we just not talk about that? That's sort of weird, right? Because some of the language, some of the things that we do, and without the proper context of the why, it's hard to understand it. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to unpack a couple of the things that we oftentimes do when we gather. And I want you to know that I'm going to talk about smaller grouping gatherings next Sunday. So this Sunday is going to be a lot more talking about you know, when we gather in, in larger settings. Why do we do some of those things? Because the truth is, God has always been calling together a gathered people. 
It is in his nature to be in uh, community. It's in his nature to gather people in community and then to dwell among them. I mean, the, the idea in the very beginning was that, that God created Adam. He created him in his image, and he saw that there was no good suitable helper, so he created Eve because it wasn't good for him to be alone. And the idea was that he would dwell in the garden with them, and that was sort of the perfect thing. So since then, God has constantly been trying to gather his children back to himself and to be reconciled in relationship with them. Now, the good news is we know that the, the final plan to all of that was Jesus. And so we're living in a time of that way. But I want, to, I want to start with this one. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? Let's be honest. Tell me any other place where other than in a concert, a ball field, you know, like, a, like, a, like at a sporting event, uh, maybe at uh, around Christmas time or New Year's, around someone's birthday, do a group of people, sober, get together and just all sing a song together. Like, it doesn't happen, right? Like, it's kind of weird, right? I mean, how often is it that there's a group of people who just get together and be like, you know, like, like imagine if I just walked into uh, a restaurant after church today and I just, like, stood up on something and I said, all right, everyone, if you'll stand up, if you want to sing along with me, let's sing. Like, they would think I'm crazy, right? My wife's birthday was this last week. Go, go you, baby. And, uh, we went to Mi Familia, and she was so embarrassed. We didn't even ask, but they found out it was her birthday, and they came and sang. Like, even that, even though, like, people know that's a thing, it's still sort of weird, right? Like, everyone kind of looks like, like, I know this is a birthday, but, but people sometimes will look when the birthday song is happening like it's this foreign thing, like someone just took their pants off and ran across the room, right? Like, we look at it just because it's out of the ordinary. It's different, Right? So why do we do it? There's, there's lots of different answers, and I could unpack a lot more. But, you know, from a historical uh, standpoint, we, in some ways we can trace roots back to uh, David, King David, which is always amazing to me. King David, um, it's funny sometimes I, I think about when people poke fun at um, different leaders. You know, I'll, I'll use Martin Luther King Jr. again as an example. You know, I've heard people sometimes try to discredit the work of Martin Luther King Jr. because it's like, well, you know the guy had like an affair, right? And it's like... You do know that, like, King David, like, had an affair and, like, murdered the lady's husband, right? It's different, though, right? But it's, 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 it's a great thing to me because I love the fact that God uses people who have junk, right? Because I got junk. My life's not perfect. I'm not, I'm not all, not all cool. But I, but I, but I love that. But David had a gift for music. In, in the way that David, this man after God's own heart, would express his, 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 his adoration, his praise to God oftentimes was through song. Now, he oftentimes would play drums or he'd play a harp. Now, music is funny because we all have our own feelings towards it. Some people, like, don't like music, which is weird and it's cool. Uh, some people think, like, this is the only good type of music or that music is the only good type of music. And in particular in church, it can be kind of heated and weird. Uh, if you ask my grandpa, my grandpa will give you a very inaccurate view um, that the only true worship that is, is pleasing to God uh, is played on the organ. And he'll trace it back that, you know, there's strings and different things in the organ, and it's kind of like how David would play, and it's, it's, not, it's not true. Okay, guys? You know, the truth is the songs that we played this morning are beautiful. I love that style of worship. But it's not the only style of worship. Music... Is, is, is a tool to praise. It's not the end game. See, David did it because that was a gift that he had. And the truth is, you have different gifts that you can use to praise God in different ways. 
But music, I think, is this kind of interestingly euphoric thing. You know, there's been studies done about how, uh, how, how our brain activity goes with certain music. You know, there's, there's times where people who have Alzheimer's, if you turn on a song from when they were, uh, you know, growing up, they can kind of like, it, it perks things up. Music just has this sort of intrinsic thing. But there's something beautiful about how it brings us together. Psalm 71, uh, 23 says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. You know, there's something about music sometimes that gives us a common language. Within movements, oftentimes you'll find people say a lot of the same things, right? And so if you go way back and you continue on, music has been one of those things where where commonly, if we were all here together in worship as a gathered people, and we were all to try at one time to express how we feel about God, imagine if there wasn't music. Like it would just be this weird chaotic noise, right? And so music gives us this opportunity to have this unified feeling and adoration towards a God. It's this beautiful opportunity. And the truth is, is that music is is a way for us to sort of shed our own self-centeredness. I mean, think about it. During most of our life, if we're honest, unless you're a mom, because moms are crazy and they know how to like put themselves aside and focus on their kids. Dads, let's be honest. If mom is around, like we're good, like we can just disengage. But typically most of our lives, if we're really honest, we tend to focus on ourselves, right? We tend to think about, I'm hungry. I'm cold. I'm hot. We tend to think about, what am I going to do later? Um, what am I going to, you know what I mean? Our, 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 our own ideas typically tend to center upon ourselves or they tend to center on things that we don't need to. They center on things like gossip, right? Let's be honest, like sometimes we, we, we talk about people, right? I'm not saying it's cool, but let's just own it, right? And don't, don't be like, well, we're, we're talking concernedly. No, like there's a lot of our, if we're really honest, there's a lot of the conversations, there's a lot of what we do that don't really center in positive things, right? Turn on the news, like there's not a lot of good feel-good stories, right? It's like scandal, uh, fire, death. We're conditioned to that. Worship is this beautiful thing because even though if you read some of the psalms that David wrote as songs and poetry to God, there are ones in which express sorrow, but they're always filled with hope. There's always a a, a clinging of hope. And so when we come together and we sing, we have this opportunity to kind of set aside everything that's been going on in our world and for just a moment have the words have sometimes the setting to just focus on God. To just focus on His goodness. Because, like, let's be honest. During music, you're having an easier interaction and time to be able to do something because you're, you're seeing things oftentimes. You're speaking. You're doing something. Like right now, when you're sitting here right now, some of you are probably falling asleep, and it's cool, but it's because it's not as interactive. I don't keep your attention the same way that a song does sometimes. And so that's part of the reason why we sing in colossians uh, 3 16 through 17 it just says this it says let the message of christ dwell among us richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns and songs from the spirit singing to god with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him You know, Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he sang. 
before he went alone to pray in the garden, him and the boy sang. And I have to think it was a an opportunity for him to just kind of clear his mind a little bit before the cross. To have an opportunity just to express how much he loved his father. How much he uh, just needed him. And that's really, really good news. So that's part of the reason why we sing. And we could unpack even more. But So here's a question. Some of you guys are like, for real, like tell us this one because I don't get it. Uh, why do we listen to a teacher or preacher? Why, why do we gather together and why do we have someone get up and try to tell bad jokes and tell embarrassing stories from their life uh, and then pretend like they know about Scripture, right? Why do we do that? You know, if we go back in time, uh, we, we have to realize that uh, the Bible that we have before us today didn't always be, like it wasn't always a thing where it was all connected like that. You know, we take for granted that we can like download like apps on our phone, we can Google search, and we can, we have like the scripture at our hands any moment we want. Like the days of like, oops, I forgot my Bible are gone. Because you can, you can get the, get that anywhere. And you have to realize that for, for a long, long time, most people did not know how to read. You know, we, we take for granted, thank you teachers in the room. If you're a teacher, you all are awesome. But without, without having the idea of being able to read, like what, what purpose would it would, would have even if you had the scripture? You wouldn't know how to read it and interpret it. And during the ancient cultures, they were very much a storytelling people. Most all scripture that we have, other than uh, some of the letters uh, that were written, almost all of them started as oral tradition stories. Because if you think about it, back in the day, like they didn't have TV, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, uh, they didn't have Hulu and Netflix, they, they just didn't have the same sort of entertainment. So what they oftentimes would do is they would gather around and they would tell stories. And part of the way that people would continue to know about uh, what God had done from, for the generations before them is they would gather and they would tell the stories of God's goodness. And so because it was a very, very long time before any of this stuff was written and before it was kind of a common thing for people to have in their hands, it was quite necessity that people would come together and on, 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 their, on their gatherings of worship, that might be the only time that they would hear Scripture. Now, you guys, again, have the, the, the benefit of today where I could, like, you could go home and you could read. You could go online and you could find a much better preacher than I. And uh, you have that benefit. But for, for centuries, people would gather because that would be the one time they'd have that. Now, some of you might say then, okay, you basically just said that it's obsolete now because I have all these other things. The other reason why it comes back to is I believe that if we look at the idea that God gave different people gifts, uh, you know, one of the gifts is teaching. And so I do believe that God has given some people a just unique gift to be able to unpack Scripture and be able to teach people uh, how something goes. Because the reality is, like, I'm just going to be honest because I know I'm not doing it. Like, most of us probably aren't just sitting at home and, like, reading Scripture constantly. We probably don't know all the historical background of what was happening in ancient Judaism, right? Like, I'm going to assume that probably most of us in the room um, aren't fluent in um, ancient Hebrew and Greek. And so we don't always understand that. And so part of the reason we still gather is the reality that we read Scripture now translated from a different language. Translated from a language that sometimes the words that we have in English don't do justice for what it was originally. 
And so when you have the opportunity to have, a, have someone who's teaching you who's an expert in that, and by no means will I claim as an expert, um, it gives you an opportunity to hear from a different voice. It gives an opportunity to have someone be able to uh, maybe see something from a vantage point that you didn't see it. Again, we've all, we've all been at a scene of like an accident or we see something happen. And depending on where you're standing or where you're sitting, different people see it from a different angle. And so that's part of it. But the other part of it, I believe, is that, uh, in, 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 hang with me here for just one second, because some of us are going to get hung up by a word. But throughout the Old Testament, God oftentimes would gather together the people and he would use what we refer to as a prophet to bring forth a message straight from God to them. Now, when we hear the word prophet today, we're a little leery, right? Like we picture like someone with like a funny hat and a crystal ball and they're telling us like our, our future, right? But again, a prophet was just a spokesperson from God. And I by no means am going to claim the idea of like, hey, call me Prophet Perry. But I believe that part of the reason why we gather is the idea that hopefully God has given some sort of prophetic message to who's ever teaching or speaking or communicating in a gathered setting. And that doesn't mean that like, that means that that person has some sort of message that is uh, infallible. It doesn't mean that they have some sort of message that is going to say, um, everybody, watch out, doom is coming to us, I'm going to predict this thing. But what I think it means is that maybe God has placed a message upon someone's heart that others need to hear. I mean, let's be honest, like, more than likely most of us, if we've been around church for a little while, we've, we've sat and listened to someone speaking sometimes, and we're like, dang, how do they know about my life? Anyone ever experienced that before? Or you're like, man, I didn't know anyone knew I was doing that sin. Like, it's creepy, Right? And I don't think that is by accident. I, I, and, and just so you know, like, it's not like, like God like, tells me during the week, like, hey, by the way, Taft is really struggling with greed, so make sure you look at him and, and, and talk about those sort of stuff. No. I'll be honest. Most, most of the time you guys hear, hear me dealing with my own junk here. But I think we gather and have a, a teacher. We have someone who has a message that God has given them for this group of people in this time and this place. Because the reality, when we look back at the Old Testament scriptures in particular, while they are still deeply valuable and important to us, the messages that the prophets were giving were for a certain group of people in a certain time in a certain situation. And that doesn't mean that it changes the meaning for us or that we don't have value in it today. But the reality is we're, we're in some ways looking from a lens that is, is removed from that and we can say, oh... Now I can see why God said, said this to that group of people. And when we gather together now, there may be moments in which God is wanting to say something to you that you're not going to hear on your own. You're not going to stop and pause long enough for Him to say it. You're not going to read the Scripture that He wants you to hear. And so that's part of the reason why we gather and we do that. Because here's, here's just the reality. that There are things that happen in community that cannot happen on our own. There are things that, 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 that I've experienced in community with others that wouldn't happen on their own. I have experienced moments in time when there has been someone who has a deep need, physical, mental, emotional, and there has been a group of people who have laid their hands and prayed on that person, and we've seen miracles happen in that moment or miracles happen after that. 
And the truth is, I don't think that that is coincidence. I think it is because there's something beautiful about the gathered followers of Jesus Christ asking for things in His name. There's something important about shouldering burdens and walking through life together. And while God works deeply and beautifully, and very importantly, in our own individual relationships with Him, it's this reality that that He does not wish for us to just engage with Him personally on that way. He wishes for us to engage together. You know, I, I would almost think about it in this sort of context. While each one of us are a child of God, and as parents, or, or, or if you have parents yourself, you know that like there's something deeply special and important about the relationship that you have, right? I mean, there's I, we all probably have memories of having one-on-one time with mom or dad and how special and neat that is. But as parents, there's something also really great about when you get all of your children together, right? I mean, it's the reason why uh, last week, Easter Sunday, Hunter and I, we drove to Muncie, went to her grandma's house. Her grandma's house... Uh, it's, I grew up in a very small family, and we, we didn't have large gatherings. Hunter's family is a little bit uh, more large. And, uh, and it's always very interesting and mildly uncomfortable for me when uh, there's like 40 people gathered in like a 1,200-square-foot uh, house. You're very close. But she always deeply, desperately wants all of her children and all her grandchildren there. And I think when we talk about a gathered people, there's something about the Father wants His children together. He didn't create us to uh, be on our own. And while He will have an individual relationship with each one of us, He wants us to be gathered together. He wants to do some crazy things that are awesome together. In Acts chapter 2, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. Uh, this is talking about after Jesus had done His... Uh, after He had resurrected and He was meeting around people, He, he told the disciples like... Here's the thing. Stay here and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And once the Holy Spirit comes, then you're going to go. But this is the day of Pentecost. This is the day in which uh, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. And this is, this is just one of those great examples of how there are things that can only happen in the context of being gathered together that couldn't have happened on their own. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all, gathered, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's this beautiful moment where the Holy Spirit came. And now, if you all have ever been hung up by the idea of Um, when it talks about tongues in Scripture. Now, there are different interpretations of what people believe that is. Some people believe that there's there's sort of a special prayer language you can have. Um, There's different things like that. My personal standpoint is uh, I I believe that this, this verse gives a really great vision into the idea of the gift of tongues, is this idea that imagine that there are these people from all different walks of life. People who have different languages, they speak different cultures, and they're gathered together in a room. Can you imagine that? And at the, at the forefront, like, they can't really communicate with each other. They don't really know what's going on. And then when the Holy Spirit descends upon them, all of them begin to speak in language, in languages that they all understand. I mean, that's just kind of crazy. But it was this idea, especially in that particular moment, where the, where the Holy Spirit came and enabled people the opportunity to be able to share the gospel with as many people as they could because language would not be a barrier. 
And the truth is, I still believe today that the language of love is not a barrier to the gospel. And while later on we still do see opportunities where people have the gift of tongues and then they have an interpreter to share the word, that still happens. But I think it's this great visual representation that if these people are not gathered together, if they're not engaging, if, if, if these people who had an experience with Christ just said like, listen, I'm off on my own, I'm not going to engage in community, this never happens. It never happens because there's something deeply powerful about when we gather together in the name of Jesus. Crazy, amazing things happen. Here's the other thing. There are things that we can do together better. Like there are things that, 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 that on our own we cannot do nearly as impactful things. I mean, I think about it this way. There are, there are ways in which we can pull resources, our time, our talent, our, our treasure to be able to, to make this world a better place, to help those who are less fortunate, that don't happen on our own. I mean, unless you're like me and you're independently wealthy and you can just, you know, sort of like, you know, write checks to like, you know, do really cool stuff, that's a joke. Like, you guys can laugh. Come on, okay? Student loans, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. It's cool. But, but for real, think about it. There are things that we get the chance to do. Uh, we are helping. There's a couple who just moved to Spain that are launching the Church of God in Spain uh, because of some of our support. That doesn't happen unless the church gets behind those people. In Haiti, they are working on building a safe house for women who have been uh, uh, victims of domestic violence through a ministry called Nadej. That does not happen unless there are, are, are groups of churches, of people who gather together, who pull their resources, and they give it to a mission like that. On my own, I could never give the same amount of impact to any of those ministries. There's something crazy that happens with this. Later on in Acts 2, it says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now here's the thing. I'm not going to prescribe that God is calling us to like, like abandon all our earthly possessions and start a commune. I'm not, I'm not you know, I, I know in fourth grade I started a pseudo-cult. I'm not into like trying to do something like that today for the record. But I think it reflects this idea that these people were deeply changed by the resurrected Savior. That the Holy Spirit was so in tune with them that it caused them to do things that normally would not happen. And the truth is, the gathered people help keep us accountable, help keeping us marching forward to the mission that we have. Because again, we were given this, this commission, this great commission to go into uh, all the nations, proclaim the good news of Jesus, to create disciples of all, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, we cannot keep life as normal, life what it was like before we knew Jesus, to be able to do that. And so when we gather together, I think it also is this beautiful reminder that we're not alone. That we're not the only ones in this. 
it can remind us that I'm not the only one being generous. I'm not the only one who at times is, is having to do things that are outside of my comfort zone. I'm not the only one who, who believes this. And when we gather together, we are encouraged. When we gather together, we are reminded that, that even though the enemy sometimes will say, hey, listen, that gift that you want to give, ah, oh, that's too small. It's so insignificant. The gathered people can remind the enemy, listen, it's not about the size. It's about the heart behind it. And not only that, it's not just me. You can't stop us. You know, Jesus said to Peter that, that he would build his church and that the church, uh, that the gates of hell could not overcome it. That it's something that would, 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 would withstand forever. And there's something beautiful that we do together. In Hebrews 10, I'm going I'm to ask the band to come out here because we're going to close up. In Hebrews 10, uh, 23 through 25, it says this. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who, pr- who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one, and on, one another on towards good towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming. I love that he talks about this, this hope that we profess. Uh, I love Star Wars because I'm a nerd and it's awesome. And if you don't love Star Wars, that's your problem. God will work on your heart too. And in, in one of the latest installments, they talk about rebellion. And it says, and one of the lines in the movie is, is rebellions are built on hope. And I love that idea because the reality is when Jesus came, he in a lot of ways started a rebellion from a religious way of life. From a, from a, from a, from a system, from an idea of, of you get clean and then come to me. From an idea of that you can never truly measure up enough. And the truth is when Jesus came, He came as the hope of the world. He came as the only hope that we'd have. And the truth is, our movement, our rebellion from the lies of the world is built on hope. And that hope is Jesus. And because we have Him, we don't have to worry about whether or not our movement is going to continue going. You know, the truth is, people talk sometimes about, like, oh, I see see the, the number of people who aren't coming to church and doing this, that, and the other anymore. Listen, my friends, he said the gates of hell would not prevail, would not overcome the church. But I think some of us have to acknowledge the fact that church needs to, when when we gather together, it has to lead us to doing something different. It has to matter. You know, I hear people talk sometimes and they say, like, here's the thing, I can do Jesus, I can do spirituality on my own. I'm just not into church. And let me say to you this morning, whether you're here or even you're watching online right now, I want to say to you that if you've ever been hurt by a church, I want to just say I'm deeply, deeply sorry. Sorry if, if you've experienced judgment or, or shame or guilt. I'm sorry if, if there have been times where, 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 where the people of God have been unkind to you and have made you feel as if you don't matter or you're not welcome. But I'll say this to you. Don't disengage. Don't disengage because because the big C church is the bride of Christ. Jesus calls the church his bride. You know, I heard a story once of, of, of a father and son and they were talking and the son was saying, 
Dad, I'm just I'm not into church anymore. I don't really like all that stuff. I, I love Jesus, but I, I just don't want to I don't want to do the whole gathering thing anymore. Does it even matter? Do I need that? And he began to tell his son a story. He said, You know, um, you know, your mom and I just moved, right? And he said, Yeah. And he said, Well, um, you know, there's these people, and they they like deeply, desperately like love me. Like they they want to have me over for dinner all the time. Um, they, they, they they want me to uh, you know lead certain things for them, and, and they just they want to take me on vacation even. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Like, wow, that's awesome. But he's like, it's weird though because they like hate your mom. And the guy got all like, he's a mama's boy. Like, what are you talking about? Hey, my mom. Who are these people? Don't they know? He said, the truth is, it's a great picture. He, he told his son this story in the same way that it's, you cannot love the father without loving his bride. The church, though sometimes bruised and broken, though sometimes full of, well, always full of people who don't have it all together, people who sometimes hurt others, the church is the bride of Christ. When Jesus came and he began his movement, he, he implanted his kingdom, he chose disciples, people like you and me. He chose a gathered people, the church, to be the vehicle. And so the reality is whether we like it or not, we cannot disengage the church in Jesus. It doesn't work. Now how we gather, where we gather, the style that we gather, that's not the important thing. Man, if you want to do home church with just a few people, do it. If you want to gather in a church that has thousands of people, that is fine. Don't stop gathering. See, part of the DNA of the church is to gather. And if the gathered church is the bride of Christ, then we have to love the church. And we have to gather with it. It's just a reality. My friends, let me say this last word to you and then then we're going to pray. We gather to encourage, empower, and engage hearts to experience the love of Christ and then to go share it. We come here to get filled up we come here to wound our, to, to deal with our wounds. You know, this place is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We come here, we get filled up, we get cleaned up, and we go. If, if, if your faith stops after the gathered place, then we need to talk. Because that's not how he intended it. But if your faith doesn't lead to a gathered space, we need to talk. That's not what he intended I'm going to ask that you guys stand this morning and, and we're going to close with a song. And, you know, this morning, um, I want to offer up the fact that, again, we talked about the fact that there are things that happen when we're in community that don't always happen on our own. And uh, I want to offer up that, that maybe if there's anyone this morning who is just, um, man, life's been heavy, they have a burden on their shoulders, or they just want someone to talk with or pray with, um, and, and there may be some other people who are going to make some ways, but I'm, I'm going to go over to that corner over there. Um, and if you just need someone to pray with or, or a group of people to pray with, feel free. If you want to come to the altars, that's fine too. Uh, but during this song, if, if you need prayer, um, I'd love to pray with you. I'm going to be over there. So let's pray. God, I just thank you for who you are. And God, I thank you for the fact that, God, you gather us together because you love us. God, when you see us get together, you, you see your sons and your daughters and you say, I love them. I'm so proud of them. God, I thank you for the opportunity to, to gather and, and, and just sing songs of praise, to, to shed my own self-centeredness and just focus in on you. 
God, I thank you for the fact that, God, we can do more together than we can do on our own. God, I thank you for the many times that I have come into a place, I've come to a gathering, and God, I've been down, and God, there's been something, there's been someone who's given me a word, who's given me a hug. God, there's been a song or something that, God, on, on my own, I would have been stuck down in a pit of despair. But God, because of the gathered people, because of the church, God, I've been helped up out of that. God, this morning, if there's anyone in here, God, who, who God, just, they, they need to know that they are loved. God, would you just let them know that? God, would it be your, your presence right now in this moment? Would it be someone giving them a hug or, or a smile after church? Whatever it may be. God, as we sing, God, would it just be a beautiful noise of praise to you? God, I just thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.